everybody. Welcome to Fishtown Local. It's that wonderful anticipatory time of the year when Christmas is right around the corner. That's right, Gloucester Christmas. A sea town Christmas. Well, I have another Christmas seaside town I'd like to read about. And that is A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. And I think it lends an especially appropriate atmosphere towards Gloucester. And it goes like this. One Christmas was so much like another in those years around the sea town corner, now and out of all sound, except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep that I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was twelve or whether it snowed for twelve days and twelve nights when I was six. All the Christmases rolled down towards the two-tongued sea like a cold and headlong moon bundling down the sky that was our street. And they stop at the rim of the ice-edged fish freezing waves, and I plunge my hands in the snow, and I bring out whatever I can find. In goes my hand into that wool-white bell-tongued ball of holidays, resting at the rim of the carol-singing sea, and out come Mrs. Prothero and the fireman. Ah, it was on the afternoon of the Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden, waiting for cats with her son Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing at Christmas. December, in my memory, is white as Lapland, though there were no reindeers. But there were cats, patient, cold, and callous. Our hands wrapped in socks. We waited to snowball the cats. <laughs> Sleek and long as jaguars, and horrible, whiskered, spitting and snarling. They would slink and sidle over the black, white garden walls, and the lynx-eyed hunters. Jim and I, fur captain, moccasin, trappers from Hudson Bay, off Mumbles Road, would hurl our deadly snowballs at the green of their eyes. The wise cats never appeared. We were so still, Eskimo-footed Arctic moxmen, in the muffling silence of the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday, that is, that we never heard Mrs. Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden, or if we heard it at all, it was to us like the far-off challenge of our enemy in prey, the neighbor's polar cat. But soon the voice grew louder. Fire! cried Mrs. Prothero, and she beat the dinner gong. Oh, we ran down the garden with the snowballs in our arms towards the house and smoke. And indeed, the smoke was pouring out of the dining room, and the gong was bumbling, and Mrs. Prothero was announcing ruin like a town crier in Pompeii. Well, this was better than all the cats in Wales standing on a wall in a row. We bounded into the house, laden with snowballs, and stopped at the open door of the smoke-filled room. Something was burning all right, 
Perhaps it was Mr. Prothero, who always slept there after midday dinner with the newspaper over his face, but he was standing in the middle of the room saying, A fine Christmas! and smacking at the smoke with a slipper. Call the fire brigade! cried Mrs. Prothero as he beat the gong. They won't be here, said Mr. Prothero. It's Christmas! But there was no fire to be seen, only clouds of smoke, and Mr. Prothero standing in the middle of them, waving his slipper as though he were conducting. Do something, he said, and we threw all our snowballs into the smoke. I think we missed Mr. Prothero, and we ran out of the house to the telephone box. Let's call the police as well, Jim said, and the ambulance, and Eddie Jenkins. He likes fires. But we only called the fire brigade, and soon the fire engine came, and three tall men in helmets brought a hose into the house, and Mr. Prothero got out just in time before they turned it on. Nobody could have had a noisier Christmas Eve. And when the fireman turned off the hose and was standing in the wet, smoky room, Jim's aunt, Miss Prothero, came downstairs and peered in at them. Jim and I waited very quietly to hear what she would say to them. She said the right thing always. She looked at the three tall Mayim firemen in their shining helmets, standing among the smoke and cinders and dissolving snowballs, and she said, Would you all like anything to read? Years and years ago, when I was a boy, when there were wolves in Wales and birds of the color of red flannel petticoats whisked past the harp-shaped hills, when we sang and wallowed all night and day in caves that smelt like Sunday afternoons in damp front farmhouse parlors, and we chased with the jaw-bones of deacons, the English and the bears, before the motor-car, before the wheel, before the duchess-faced horse, when we rode the daft and happy hills bareback. It snowed and it snowed. But here a small boy in my past says, Well, it snowed last year, too. I made a snowman, and my brother knocked it down, and I knocked my brother down, and then we had tea. But that was not the same snow, I say. Our snow was not only shaken from whitewashed buckets down the sky, it came shawling out of the ground and swam and drifted out of the arms and hands and bodies of the trees. Snow grew overnight on the roofs of the houses, like a pure and grandfather moss, minutely ivied the walls, and settled on the postman, opening the gate, like a dumb-numb thunderstorm of white-torn Christmas cards. Were there postmen then, too? Oh, yes, with sprinkling eyes and wind-cherried noses on spread frozen feet they crunched up to the doors and mittened on them manfully but all that the children could hear was the ringing of bells you mean that the postman rent rat-a-tat-tat and the doors rang 
No, no. I mean that the bells the children could hear were inside them. I only hear thunder sometimes, never bells. There were church bells, too, inside them. No, no, no. In the bat black snow-widened belfries, tugged by bishops and stalks, they ran their tidings over the bandaged town, over the frozen foam of the powder and ice-cream hills, over the crackling sea. It seemed that all the churches boomed for joy under my window, and the weathercocks crew for Christmas on our fence. Get back to the postmen. Oh, they were just ordinary postmen. Fond of walking and dogs and Christmas in the snow. They knocked on the doors with blue knuckles. <coughs> Ours had, had got a black knocker. And then they stood on the white welcome mat in the little drifted porches and huffed and puffed, making ghosts with their breath and jogged from foot to foot like small boys wanting to go out. And then the presents. And then the presents. After the Christmas box and the cold postman with a rose on his button nose tingled down the tea tray, slithered run of the chilly glinting hill. He went in his ice-bound boots like a man on fishmonger's slabs. He wagged his bag like a frozen camel's hump, dizzily turned the corner on one foot, and by God, he was gone. Get back to the presents! Oh, yes, there were the useful presents, engulfing mufflers of the old coach days, and mittens made for giant sloths, zebra scarves of a substance like silky gum that could be tug-of-war down to the galoshes, blinding tam-o'-shanters like patchwork tea-cozies, and bunny-suited busbies and baccalavas for victims of head-shrinking tribes from aunts who always wore wool next to their skin. <laughs> they were mustachioed and rasping vests that made you wonder why the aunts had any skin left at all. And once I had a little crochet nose bag from an aunt, now, alas, no longer whinnying with us and pictureless books in which small boys, though warned with quotations not to, would skate on Farmer Giles' pond and did and drowned, and books that told me everything about the wasp. Except why? Go on to the useless presents, will you? Oh, bags of moist and many-colored jelly babies, and a folded flag, and a false nose, and a tram conductor's cap, and a machine that punched tickets and rang a bell. Never a catapult, though. Never. Once by mistake that no one could explain. A little hatchet, and a celluloid duck that made, when you pressed it, a most unduck-like sound, a mewing moo that an ambitious cat might make who wished to be a cow, <laughs> and a painting book in which I could make the grass, the trees, the sea, and the animals any color I pleased. And still, the dazzling sky-blue sheep are grazing in the red field under the rainbow build, and pea-green birds. <laughs> 
Hard boilers, toffee, fudge, and all sorts. Crunches, crap keels, crap kring, kringles, humbugs, glaciers, marzipan, and butter welsh for the welsh. <laughs> That's us. And troops of bright tin soldiers who, if they could not fight, could always run. And snakes, and families, and happy ladders, and easy hobby games for little engineers, complete with instructions. Oh, easy for Leonardo. And a whistle to make the dogs bark to wake up the old man next door, to make him beat on the wall with his stick, to shake our pictures off the wall. And a packet of cigarettes. You put one in your mouth and you stood at the corner of the street and you waited for hours, in vain, for an old lady to scold you for smoking a cigarette. And then with a smirk, you ate it. <laughs> and then it was breakfast under the balloons. Were there uncles like in our house? Oh, yes. There were always uncles at Christmas. The same uncles. And on Christmas morning, with dog-disturbing whistle and sugar fags, I would scour the swatched town for the news of the little world and would find always a dead bird by the post office or by the white deserted swings. Perhaps a robin, all but one of his fires out. Men and women wading or scooping back from chapel with taproom noses and wind-bust cheeks, all albinos, huddles their stiff black jarring feathers against the irreligious snow. Mistletoe hung from the gas brackets in all the front parlors. There was sherry and walnuts and bottled beer and crackers by the dessert spoons. And cats in their furabouts watched the fires. And high heaped, the fire spat, all ready for the chestnuts and their mulling pokers. Some few large men sat in the front parlors without their collars. Uncles, almost certainly trying their new cigars, holding them out judiciously at arm's length, returning them to their mouths, coughing, and then holding them out again, as though waiting for uh, the explosion. And some few small aunts, not wanted in the kitchen, nor anywhere else for that matter, sat on the very edge of their chairs, poised in brittle, afraid to break like faded cups and saucers. Not many, those mornings, trod the piling streets. An old man, always fawn-bowlered, yellow-glowed, and at this time of year, with spats of snow, would take his constitutional to the white bowling green and back, as he would take it with wet or fire, on Christmas Day or Doomsday. Sometimes to hail young men with big pipes blazing, no overcoats, and wind-blown scarves would trudge, would trudge unspeaking down to the forlorn sea to work up an appetite, to blow away the fumes, who knows, to walk into the waves until nothing of them was left but the two furling smoke clouds of their inextinguishable briars. 
Then I would be slap-dashing home. The gravy smell of the dinners of others. The bird smell, the brandy, the pudding, and mince coiling up to my nostrils. When out of a snow-clogged side lane would come a boy, the spit of myself, with a pink tip cigarettes and the violet past of a black eye, cocky as a bullfinch, leering all to himself. I hated him on sight and sound, and would be about to put my dog whistle to my lips and blow him off the face of Christmas, when suddenly he, with a violet wink, put his whistle to his lips and blew so stridently, so high, or so exquisitely loud, that gobbling faces, their cheeks bulged with goose, would press against their tinseled windows, the whole length of the white echoing street. For dinner, we had turkey and blazing pudding, and after dinner, the uncle sat in front of the fire, <laughs> loosened all their buttons, put their large, moist hands over their watch chains, groaned a little, and slept. Mothers, aunts, and sisters scuttled to and fro, bearing tureens. Aunt Bessie, who had already been frightened twice by a clockwork mouse, whimpered at the sideboard and had some more elderberry wine. The dog was sick. Auntie Dozy had to have three aspirins, but Auntie Hannah, who liked port, stood in the middle of the snowbound backyard, singing like a big bosom thrush. I would blow up balloons to see how big they would blow up to, and then when they burst, which they all did, the uncles jumped and rumbled. <laughs> In the rich and heavy afternoon, the uncles breathing like dolphins and the snow descending, I would sit among festoons and Chinese lanterns and nibble dates and try to make a model man-o'-war, following the instructions for little engineers and produce what might be mistaken for a seagoing tram car. Or I would go out, my bright new boots squeaking into the white world, on to the seaward hill, to call on Jim and Dan and Jack, to pad through the still streets, leaving huge footprints on the hidden pavements. I'll bet people will think there's been hippos, said Jim. What would you do if you saw a hippo coming down the street? Well, I'd go like this, bang, and then I'd throw him over the railings and roll him down the hill, and then I'd tickle him under the ear, and he He'd wag his tail. <laughs> but what would you do if you saw two hippos? Iron flank and bellowing he hippos clacked, clanked, and battered through the scudding snow towards us as we passed Mr. Daniel's house. Oh, let's post Mr. Daniel a snowball through his letterbox. Let's write things in the snow. Let's write, Mr. Daniel looks like a spaniel all over his lawn. <laughs> or we walked on the white shore. Can the fishes see that it's snowing? 
The silent, one-clouded heavens drifted on to the sea. Now we were snow-blind travelers lost on the north hills, and vast dewlapped dogs with flasks around their necks ambled and shambled up to us, baying, Excelsior! We returned home through the poor streets where only a few children fumbled with bare red fingers in the wheel-rutted snow and catcalled after us, their voices fading away as we trudged uphill into the cries of the dock birds and the hooting of ships out in the whirling bay. And then, at tea, the recovered uncles would be jolly and the ice cake loomed in the center of the table like a marble grave. Auntie Hannah laced her tea with rum because, well, it was only once a year. Bring out the tall tales now that we told by the fire as the gaslight bubbled like a diver. Ghosts wooed like owls in the long nights when I dared not look over my shoulder. Animals lurked in the cubbyhole under the stairs and the gas meter ticked. And I remember that we went singing carols once when there wasn't the shaving of a moon to light the flying streets. At the end of a long road was a drive that led to a large house, and we four stumbled up the darkness of the drive that night, each one of us afraid, each one of us holding a stone in his hand in case, oh well, and all of us too brave to say a word. The wind through the trees made noises as of old and unpleasant, and maybe web-footed men wheezing in caves. We reached the black bulk of the house. What shall we give them? Hark the herald angel? No, Jack said. Good King Wenceslas, I'll count three. One, two, three, and we began to sing, our voices high and seemingly distant in the snow-felted darkness round the house that was occupied by nobody we knew. We stood close together near the dark door. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen, and then, and then a dry, small voice, like the voice of someone who has not spoken for a long time, joined our singing, a small, dry, eggshell voice from the other side of the door, a small, dry voice through the keyhole. And when we had stopped running, <laughs> we were outside our house. The front room was so lovely. Balloons floated under the hot water bottle gulping gas. Everyone was good again. Everything was good again. And shone over the town. Perhaps it was a ghost, Jim said. Perhaps it was trolls, Dan said, who was always reading. Let's go in and see if there's any jelly left, Jack said. And we did that. Always on Christmas night, there was music. An uncle played the fiddle, a cousin sang Cherry Ripe, and another uncle sang Drake's Drum. It was very warm in the little house. 
Auntie Hannah, who had got on to the parsnip wine, she sang a song about bleeding hearts and death. And then another in which she said her heart was like a bird's nest. And then everyone laughed again. But then I went to bed. Looking through my bedroom window, out into the moonlight and the unending smoke-colored snow, I could see the lights in the windows of all the other houses on our hill and hear the music rising from them up the long, steady, falling night. I turned the gas down. I got into bed. I said some words to the close and holy darkness, and then I slept. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas from Gloucester, from Wales, from Gordo, from Fishtown Local, from Jim Capillo, my wonderful engineer, and to all a good night in the Gloucester fight. Thanks, everybody. Have a great year. Thank you.